Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navar. Today, my guest is Adam Aronson with Full City Consulting. Welcome, Adam. Hello. Welcome, Matt. Welcome, Matt. Very funny. I've never heard that one before. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Matt. It's good to see you. What do you call a guy with norms and no legs on your doorstep? (laughs) 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 So our our topic's going to be consulting models. And that, which I think is going to be really interesting because I think you have a really different approach than a lot of FileMaker developers. But some of the other segments that we have are what's cool in FileMaker that you've been working on lately that you and your company have been doing, and mm-hmm. also a non-FileMaker thing that you might find cool. Do you have either one of those? Non-FileMaker thing. Well, it kind of goes along with the conversation. We've been, uh, it's, not, it's certainly not new to the community, but the thing we've been very excited about lately is that we've implemented Atlassian's Jira here in our office. Uh, for issue tracking, um, you know, agile, quote-unquote, agile development practice, agile development model. Great piece of software. Sounds like mm-hmm. a role-playing game, no? <laughs> yeah, well, hey, we are the development community, aren't we? It's a web-based issue tracking, notifications, uh, the ability to comment, upload files, tag into the, uh, the Atlassian's wiki product, Confluence. Um, I, you know, I know Ernest and the folks over at Proof have been using it for a while. Hmm. Um, Soliant uses it, I found out, at Pause from Bob. Um, we're using it. We love it. It's a great product. Hmm. I haven't heard of it. What's the website for it? It's Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. It's a, a group out of Australia, and their offices, I think, are in San Francisco here in the States. Cool. Nice thing is it's it's on a, it's on a MySQL backend. So though you're supposed to use their API, which are re, which is a REST best based API, right? Um, we are able to read the data out of the SQL tables, obviously using ESS. So it's been a nice way to tie in our project management system, which is built in FileMaker, with uh, with the data that we're collecting there. Cool. Yeah, we love it. I'm trying to think of what my. I have to say iPad two. Mm-hmm. It's something I've been really digging lately. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, yeah. I forgot about iPads. that, because I stood in line for it. You actually had one reserved for you, which was smart. Yeah. And my, other, my other cool thing is I bought a, um, I bought like a 9 by 12 uh, book, a moleskin notebook. Mm-hmm. And I just took a knife and cut out the middle of the pages of the middle of the book. And the iPad fits inside, even though the book is not even a half an inch thick. So you did that instead of buying a Dodo case? Um, I could have bought one of those cases, like with the nice wood uh, surround. Yeah, yeah. That's what I use. But I, I thought uh, you could see the wood, and it it doesn't look exactly like a book. And so I thought uh, it'd be so much more fun to get an actual moleskin book and do it myself, like I used to do to hide my um, your money. Uh, no, like <laughs> anything I wanted to try to hide from my parents, I would like get some thick book and cut out the pages when I was a kid. You know, old oh, right, old, old school right. trick. You, you hid things from your parents as a kid? <laughs> Never successfully. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm digging iPad, too. It doesn't really feel any lighter to me. It's really hard to tell the difference in a way, but it's definitely a lot thinner and really a lot faster. And I agree. I love how much faster uh, FileMaker Go is on it. Much, Very much so, yeah. Have you, so how, how has been ex- your experience with uh, the camera and the container fields? Um, you know, well, I, we had that before, I guess, on the iPhone. Right. The the camera on the iPod uh, the on the iPad is not very good. Neither the front or the back facing camera is really good for still pictures, in my opinion. Right. Pretty good for video in good light. Good for Photoshop with my uh, photo booth with my daughter. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. fun for that. But it's just it's kind of sitting on the desk or sitting on a stand. The camera's not aiming the right way for a call. You have to mm. hold it up. 
Yeah, I noticed that because typically you're going to hold it closer to your face than you might a laptop. So when you're doing FaceTime with somebody, it looks funny because you're not actually looking at them. You're looking like – looks like you're looking at their chin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because usually you're holding it like down sort of in your lap. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of looking up, which is a really, really unflattering look. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Although being, you know, two meters tall, that's kind of the way the world typically sees me, I guess. I don't know. Right. At- <laughs> It's true. Yeah, we're used to looking at you from the chin up. It's bad. Um, let's see. So let's dive into our topic. Okay. So um, what is your general approach to to consulting? Um, we really like to keep things simple. Um, I know that's cliche. Um, I know that uh, that's an eye roller at times. So, so but, what do you mean by that, though? Yeah. Well, so what do I mean by that? Um, we don't necessarily look to apply the most technical solution to every problem. Um, for us, we kind of look things from, from the inverse. Um, you know, we're, we're consultants. We're hired by our customers to solve problems, to solve business problems, to help them answer questions, if you will. And our approach to doing so is to, well, take advantage of everything that FileMaker has to offer that led us to FileMaker in the first place, right? So everybody I have on my staff came to FileMaker through using it for themselves. Therefore, we bring, and I think that probably is true for a good percentage of, of our constituent and, and our friends in the development community. Um, my experience is that once you allow customers to use everything that's built into FileMaker, the reason that FileMaker is successful, the things that FileMaker does well, it actually empowers them in such a way that it, that it doesn't when you do things like lock down the status area. I know that's controversial, but right. we, don't, we don't lock down the status area. We really like find mode. We think find mode is probably the killer feature of FileMaker. Why not let your users have it? Especially now, I know this is a conversation oh, that I... Buddy, them's, I them's fighting words, man. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, but, but I think, you know, I think our side of the argument certainly stands a lot more firm these days based on custom menus and script triggers than we did in the past. Oh, right? in, the true, past yeah. in the past, it was a much harder conversation to have and, and much more difficult. And to be honest with you, we, we locked down the status, status area in the FileMaker 7, 8, 9 days. Yeah. Um, it's really recently that we've said, oh, boy, we have the power to, to kind of open things up. Well, one size does not fit all when it comes to consulting. And, you okay. know, when you have a, a lot of the projects that you face, you know, you really don't need to overdevelop it. You can let it be um, more unlocked and let that, the power of FileMaker shine. And then just do a little bit more training on your clients so that they actually know and like FileMaker. And then they can use all those features. That's and then, right. And do you let uh, like several users or all your users or not all, but some users in each client um, have full access to the database? Sometimes. So, and let me let me kind of backstep just a little bit. Um, so, not to be totally dogmatic about it, we don't lock down these things. We don't take this approach unless the client's requirements direct that we should. Okay. So we always start from the perspective of. We're going to give them everything FileMaker has to offer. We're going to allow them, in some cases, to enter records directly into portals, Okay, as controversial as that may be. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, we're going to do that until the customer gives us a reason to do so. Well, I think there's a lot of – yeah, I get that. Like if, you, if there's only ever going to be a few related records, like say you've got a portal for phone numbers and there's four or five lines, it's mm-hmm. perfectly acceptable to do that. Absolutely. But if you have a notes portal and there's going to be 100 notes – Bad idea. Yes. You don't want right. people scrolling to the bottom. 
Exactly, and that's the uh, exactly that's a point where the UI is just you know it's not a time saver to have to scroll to the bottom and right. enter that note. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite method for that is to actually put a global field above the portal with a little outline around it. Bingo. Um, and then uh, <laughs> and a trigger and a trigger. Yeah. And then Bingo. you type something in it, and it just the note just gets added automatically. And actually, like the other say. thing that I've been liking to do lately is um, I don't actually on a notes portal. I don't show a portal of the notes because then you can't see a flexible height. Mm-hmm. So I make a calculated field in the um, in the uh, which I don't normally like, but in the in the table that actually has the note data, I'll make a calculated field that has a bunch of information about the note, how old it was, you know, from this second to when the note was created. Mm-hmm. So you can see, like in the list, it'll say seven minutes ago, so and so did this, mm-hmm. thirty six days ago, so and so said that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I color code the different parts of it. And so, but I have one field. And then I make a um, a calculated field, an unstored calculation in the parent uh, file, the company file, that gives me a list of the top fifty notes. Mm, maybe even a, through a sorted relationship. I like so that. So it's kind of old school filemaker stuff. But the beauty that that gives you is it gives you one scrollable list of every note. It's not editable. But if you click on it, it takes you to another layout with a portal with all the notes, and then you can edit them or something like that. That's excellent. And that's a, that's a pretty familiar paradigm, UI paradigm these days, too, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that. I like the, you know, this note created six minutes ago, right? Very finder-ish kind of behavior. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gives you that sort of real-time thing. And then if you make a note right now, it says created just now or created. And then you can put some smart stuff in, like, you know, created yesterday, created yep. um, today. Good stuff. Whatever. Good stuff. So um, no gold-plated solutions, though, in general for your company, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a big no-no around here. Um, it's funny. I mean, I think we've all, or a good portion of us, we're familiar with this arc that when you first encounter FileMaker, it's so cool. It does so many good things, and you just have it in you. We all have it in us now. You want to stretch the envelope with FileMaker. You really want to make it do some crazy cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, where that becomes overkill, I think, is when you start delivering solutions for clients where you're, you know, well, in a time and materials-based business, you might be charging them but by the time it took to create that, you know, to take the silver and make it into gold plating. Um, and that kind of goes contrary to my philosophy here, which is, you know, it, it, my, my understanding of how this should work and, and where our belief system comes here in the, in the company is if a customer is hiring us, they're hiring us to do the job to help them make their business more efficient. How do you justify making somebody's business more efficient by and return and a bigger ROI by charging them more than you should, right? So by gold sure. plating, you're raising the you're raising unless of course you eat the cost of the gold plating, and sometimes we do that just for the sake of learning something for the first time. You know, if a customer asks us to do something for the fir- that we've never done before, integrating with Constant Contact, for instance, right? We're, we're not going. We're going to learn how to do that, but that's not gold plating. We're going to you know, charge them for the functionality, but not for the time it takes for the research. This is different. Gold plating is, you know, adding the wow that doesn't really deliver value. Yeah, like buying some wasteful product like FM search results and integrating it. <laughs> it was on the tip of my tongue, Matt, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, my mother raised me to be a respectful young man. <laughs> right. But, but your dad, <laughs> he's, he he's was the one that made you a sarcastic <laughs> SOB. You know it. <laughs> God bless his soul. <laughs> Yeah, my dad's definitely the dry humor, sarcastic SOB in my family. Right. Probably, yeah. <laughs> which, we is, which is great. Gotta love that. Gotta love it. So, uh, well, actually, it's interesting because, I mean, I, 
it's hard to disagree with your position of not charging the customer too much money, not as, not doing the stuff that they don't need to do. But there's other aspects to it, like you know, if you can predict, if you can say, well, I you know, these users I know are gonna are gonna um, at some point mess this up, so I need to put some extra code in to make sure that this thing is locked down and they, and they and there's a wizard to help them walk through that process. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's the question of like uh, value billing. I guess you do hour just hourly billing, or how do you? We um, again, there's no dogma here. Um, we are a time and materials based company. Most of the work we do is hourly based, but on occasion, you know, we flex that to the needs of the individual customer or the needs of the the the, the work. So do you uh, do you sometimes do uh, value billing then? Uh, no, I'm I'm not sold. I'm gonna have Kurt call you now. <laughs> I don't know if you remember uh, the first the the first uh, session you did on this at DevCon was at two was it San Francisco two or three years ago yeah yeah and I was in the back of the room jumping up and down uh, at the time Kirk was on the time and materials based side of the argument right. I believe and it was who was it on the other side I'm forgetting Jonathan I'm Stark yeah on the other side yeah and every you know and i remember jesse was up there and you know i was kind of like yep. yeah jesse go jesse and yeah i just haven't it's not that i you know i won't shoot it down i just I, I, from what i've heard and i haven't really had a chance to sit down with kirk and have the conversation i'd like to um so kirk call me um I, i'm i'm just not sold yet yeah i think he switched over to it pretty much completely at his company yes yeah and it's, you know to hear him talk about it he says it's a great thing Mm-hmm. I don't have any reason to doubt him. I certainly I was convinced by Jonathan Stark's argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess in my own company, you know, since most of the work I do is for this one big project that I don't really get to set the price, it sort of is a value-based project. But really, it's a vertical market thing, the, the thing I'm doing for the state of Oregon for public health. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I don't really get to apply to my own con- uh, company in a way that gets me the kind of vote that you guys uh, definitely have. And, and uh, you know, the... I don't. I under, I think I understand the difference between value-based billing. I know enough to understand the difference between value-based and fixed bid. And again, we're not dogmatic. So I do. I will say that there have been times where we have collectively with a customer set a price on on a on a project and worked towards that price, regardless of the amount of time that was put into the project. Right. Well, v- value is really <clears throat> a subset of fixed bid. It's how you get to that fixed bid price. So do you get the fixed bid price by estimating how many hours it's going to take? Mm-hmm. Or do you get to the price by figuring out what it's worth to the client in their business? That's correct. Right. And then and, and then maybe compare that to what it would cost them to do it some other way. Like a FileMaker is such a perfect fit for this particular thing that uh, you could actually charge them $70,000 on the job rather than 50000 Mm-hmm. Because if they went some other way, it would cost them a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. You know, on one hand, that's kind of acceptable. But on the other hand, it's it's kind of padding. Um, you know, it it it, it makes me feel it? a little bit immoral in in one level. You know, Un- unless you make it a win win, right? I mean, right. there are some organizations out there who split the difference on the high end and on the right. low and on the over. Um, yeah. And we've we've done some of that. Let me get back to what you said about. Um, you said that you know the, what drives a fixed price on your healthcare project. I'm um, I'm curious: is the cost of that was that driven by a cost analysis of time, or was it somebody who said, "I have a budget and this is what I can spend"? Well, honestly, it was uh, to, when we started the project a few years ago. They said, "We've got this grant money from a CDC grant. It's Bingo. a fixed amount, <laughs> right? And we want this thing." 
mm-hmm. there was no connection whatsoever between the two. Mm-hmm. It was just like, we have this amount of money and we want to spend it, and how much can we get for that? And I asked that question rather rhetorically because we do work with quite a bit, a number of nonprofits, and a lot of times there is a grant writer in, in place who is writing a grant, coming to us and saying, this is what they have, this is what they need, is there parity here? Right, um, right, can this right. Be? And, and we have done that a, a number of times. Yeah, and so actually, it's a most simple, of the places... Yeah, it's a simple yes or no decision. Can you do it, it or can't you? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and that's that's where we've had, if, if we've adopted any kind of value-based billing um, or not, depending on how you define it, that's where we've applied that kind of thing. That's where we've mostly done our fixed bid work. Yeah, and I think that's actually well. I'm very happy with the with this project, and I, it's definitely gold plated. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, it's because the the users that I'm that are I'm writing for um, are not typically computer people. They're they're uh, they're nurses. They're not necessarily particularly young or trained to work with computer stuff. They're people who are medical professionals and public health professionals whose focus is really taking care of. Um, of, of patients and of tracking information and, mm-hmm. you know, using a database is the farthest thing from their mind. So it needs to be really, really easy to use and really uh, hard to make errors and I use conditional formatting like crazy mm-hmm. um, to highlight uh, information. So like if, you know, if it's very, very record type specific. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even though the form is the same for different types of records, um, 20 or 30 fields might show up differently if one field has changed from one value to another. Right. I wouldn't call that gold plating. Gold plating, for me, my definition of gold plating is, is um, effort that is expended at the cost of the customer for the benefit of the developer. To say, look what I did. I don't know if anybody could, could argue that that's a good idea. <laughs> I've, uh, I'd well, love to talk to someone who does that. We've all done it, though, right? <laughs> we want to no, say, eh. hey, mea culpa, I think we've all yeah, done it. You know, maybe I, a I, little bit. Yeah, I see a lot of it. You know, I, I do see it out in the field. And I think, yes, that's the gross example of it. But yeah. I, I think what you're talking about is you built f- features that are giving value directly to the users. And also for a vertical solution, you need to skew your approach for that as well. Sometimes, you know, you, the way you develop a particular feature um, to suit a requirement needs to be skewed if you're developing it for a mass audience, oh, whether it's right. I did. Yeah, that's true. I did one thing that was, that maybe is a really good example of gold plating. It's a really silly one because it wasn't expensive or anything like that. I found U S census data that had every first name and every last name of anybody living in the U S. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but it's kind of oh, fun. That's neat. Mm-hmm. And so like if it had, uh, I can't remember how many names, like I think it was about 6,000 first names, and uh, along with the first name, it had information like, what's the probability this person, that name is male or female? Mm-hmm. Right. So if you had a name like John or Carl, it was like really highly likely to be male. Oh, and that's then, cool. And then there were some names that were pretty ambiguous. You couldn't really tell the gender from the name, like Casey. And, I can't, and there's a few of them that are right on the 50-50 line, which I can't remember off the top of my head now, which I thought was interesting. Pat? No, that was like in oh. the 40%, <laughs> I think. Um, I think you're describing FM gender results. Is yeah. that uh, what you're talking about that's, here? You're that's on? funny. And then the <laughs> other the other part of it was it it had like the top twenty thousand last names or more. I think maybe it was like sixty thousand. Can't remember. And oh. with that one, it had a probability of uh, race breakdown. Wow. From the U.S. Census data. So like if you had a name like Hernandez versus um, 
you know, Navarre versus, I don't, I don't know, whatever, just different last names that were kind of really obviously one uh, race. And then a lot of them were, were not at all um, obvious to me. But anyway, so what I did with that was I, if you typed in a name in a name field in a database, I set up a little uh, Google chart widget that graphed <laughs> the probability like a little bar graph of the probabilistic race outcome of that last name. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and the probabilistic gender, male or female, was a little Google meter that showed you like a little uh, kind of like a speedometer thing, left versus right, like a little arrow. Right. Like a, yeah, like a fuel tank. And generally, it was pegged at either M or F. And people look at it the first time, and they sort of just crack up because it just looks silly. <laughs> but I can slap it in a solution in a couple of minutes, and I put it in this one solution I was developing. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I, you know, again, it doesn't mean that if you got joy out of building it, which it sounds like you got a ton. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm jealous. But um, yeah, that sounds like it's something that gave a tremendous amount of value to your customer. It's no, it's no value to the customer whatsoever. It was no, just, no value. Yeah, no, really. Uh, well, then I don't you're, think you're a thief. Yeah. Well, I didn't charge them for it. I just <laughs> okay. put it in there because I thought it was fun. So that was for me, not for them. That's that's Excellent. gold plating. That's your definition. Right. Well, that's not again. If if you, I said, if you charge the customer for it, if oh, it's at the yeah. customer's expense, then it's gold plating. Oh, okay, okay. If it's not at the customer's expense, it's it's, it's silver plating. It's silver. It's just <laughs> sil- it's, it's self indulgence. Is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes I I try stuff like that. Well, actually, I think getting um, getting skill in that Google charting widget in a web viewer is great. Yes, I think that has so much utility. Uh, it does a lot of types of charts that you can't do with FileMaker charting. Mm-hmm. And you can control the size of the chart to much smaller. So the um, the smallest, like you can't make a teeny tiny chart in, with FileMaker's chart. Mm-hmm. You can't make it like fifty by fifty pixels. Right. It Trend lines. Yeah, it doesn't go that small because it has a bunch of padding. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, the, the, I find the Google Chart API. We've done some work with it here, and it's exceptionally flexible. Um, a little bit of a, a little bit of a learning curve, but once you're in it. Um, it's you know once you come up with a couple of custom functions to format the data the way you need them, it's exceptional. It's a yeah. really great tool. Yeah, I guess I could do that. I just use a, a let function. I don't I don't even use custom functions ah, for it. Okay. Yep. But yeah, having a let actually or have a, cu- a custom function to drive it would actually be a lot simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, that way, I could have I could sort of predefine the different chart types and pass data arrays much more simply. Yeah, it's cool stuff. It's great. So, kind of, what other approaches do you suspect are different for your company for versus others? Um, we um, we're, we're selective, um, and we uh, we're selective about our customer base. We also instruct our customers to be selective about their uh, choose, you know, their selection of a developer. You know, we make sure we we do vigorously want to make sure the customer is a good fit, and that we're the good fit, we're the right fit for the customer. We um, have in a number of occasions said to the customer, we might not be a right fit for you for a number of reasons. We're our, our scale, our, um, uh, you know, our expertise, our domain expertise, for mm-hmm. instance, in some cases. And we have, um, built a very strong community of developers in New Jersey and New York through the user groups that we host there. We host, um, three user groups currently two in New York state and one in New Jersey, the North, uh, New Jersey FileMaker user group. Wow. Yep. And, um, through those groups, we've actually built a really great community of people who are referring jobs to each other. Um, and we've done that on a number of occasions uh, as well when we didn't think that there was a customer that really fit our profile or that we felt wasn't a great match for us. Or, or reverse, sorry. 
Sure, that, that makes sense. So there's certain, like, would you say there's certain types of industries that you aren't, you know, you guys can be successful in, and then other ones that you suspect you wouldn't be successful in? Is that what you're saying? Um, I think it's it, that if there are experts in the community in a specific domain, for instance, uh, I'll give a, a shout out here to Alan Moat at Nevis Associates in mm -hmm. New Jersey. Um, he came from a background in. Um, in sales and specifically in manufacturing manufacturers reps was his background. Mm -hmm. So we've come up against a number of customers who said, Oh, we're a manufacturers rep. And as soon as they say that on the phone, my thought is, okay, now I've got to come up with a reason not to refer them to Alan. <laughs> and uh, most of the time we have, and it's actually helped bolster his expertise in the field. It's, he it's helped to help establish him. And likewise, he's come across actually one of um, one of the biggest jobs we ever did was one where I wanted to hand it off to him, and he came back to me and said, "No, no, no, I think you want to keep this one. <laughs> this, this might be one that you that's worth your while." Hmm. So, building um, effective, strong partnerships with some of our colleagues is a big part of of our mo here. Um, you know, I I learned from somebody who took me under their wing early on when I started. Ann Verinder, shout out to Ann, hmm. and likewise, I think I've kind of tried to continue that um, in the community, bringing a lot of other people up. From Alan, by the way. Speaking of, was a person who started it, came to the New Jersey user group, showed something he had built in a, as a runtime, and myself and a number of other, other people there, including Jason Fisk, the FileMaker BAM, we were all like, hey, dude, you got to make a job out of this. <laughs> and so, sure enough, fast forward, he's a certified developer in New Jersey with a successful consulting practice. Cool. Yep. Yeah, I think that's kind of the way it works. I don't know of anybody who actually was educated in FileMaker, certainly <laughs> not college courses in it. Yep. There are some really good places you can I think there's some developers who've come up through some of the training programs like the um like uh John Howell's mm -hmm. class. He's he's you know, I wouldn't say created developers, it sounds kinda weird, but mm -hmm. you know, he's definitely trained up some people who have been who are now shining stars in the industry. Yeah, one of our subcontractors went through his program and is huge. I mean that did a huge boost for his his uh, capabilities. And I think a lot of the FileMaker training companies, too, are, are getting people who are really good. I've actually found that uh, finding the best developers, the developers that are my favorite, who I work with in Portland, are people mm -hmm. who were sort of – maybe FileMaker was thrust on them because their company chose to do it, mm -hmm. chose to go that way. Or they were using it already. And then when they started really taking it seriously, certain individuals really just take to it very quickly. They have the FileMaker gene. Yeah, they have the FileMaker gene, and, and it gets turned on, and boom. Yep. And uh, there's, I can name quite a few developers who are, are uh, really, really impressive. Um, yeah, one, of my, one of my favorite stories, you may have heard this anecdotally. I've told a number of people, but one of our shining stars here is a fellow who I was on the Amtrak train riding to New York City to go see a customer. We were in need of a developer. I was coming up dry, and I happened to walk past somebody sitting uh, on the train who had their Mac open and was in the relationship graph, and that's like a that's a that's, that's random. A, that's a goosebump <laughs> moment, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, I walked up to him. I said, "Is this what you do?" He said, "It's part of what I do. I'm a you know Mac systems administrator and uh, blah blah blah." And he said, "I use FileMaker." And I said, "Great. You looking for a job?" <laughs> and I handed him my card, and lo and behold, he called me two weeks later, and now he's like I said, he's our SE and one of our shining stars here. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. It's a great story. I'm trying to think if I've ever walked by somebody and seen a, like in the in, out in the world and seen a FileMaker relationship graph. I've not not the graph is rare, right? I mean, I've yeah. been on this Amtrak and I've seen people using FileMaker, um, 
but I've but seeing that relationship graph open, I was like, all right, he must know what he's doing. Yeah, sure. Because <laughs> yeah, most people who use the graph are really good at it. They, That's true. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it looked like he knew what he was doing at the yeah. time. What what percentage of people who use FileMaker do you think have the who have the FileMaker gene also have the data modeling gene? Two percent, three percent. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I would, you know, conversely, and I'm sure you can appreciate this. What percentage of FileMaker gene, um, you know, people have the FileMaker gene? What percentage of them are musically talented? Well, that's no, that's question. actually much higher. Much higher. Yeah. It's exceptional, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's, also, my, it's my criteria. What's, what's I, I have actually the, have three. I have three musicians on staff. I'm sure I'm not yeah. unique in that uh, department. Oh yeah, when, at pre one, most of us are musicians for sure. Right. Um. Yeah, it's. I don't know why that's such a high crossover, but it really is. It's a left brain, right brain thing. There's quite a few photographers in the filmmaker community too. Yep. Number of those, yeah. right? Including Don you and Ernest, me. Yeah, Andy, Don Ernest, myself. Andy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Great photographers too. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Andy is like a professional photographer. He gets paid. He yeah, He gets right. He sold something. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, it's all these talents together. I think they all uh, they make sense to me at some level why all these things kind of come together. Yeah, I guess I do. You know, it's kind of it's technical expertise with a huge dose of creativity. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the shared thing between photography. Well, really, any art. But, mm-hmm. You know, some arts require less technical expertise than than music and photography. I think. Right. I mean, I think the word that Don used it uses hits the nail on the on the head. Uh, craft. There is a there is a craft to what we do. Um, the people who do this really well and the people who have that gene, I think they do approach it as a craft. Yeah, I think it is really really um, helpful and and you know transformative to really take that seriously. Mm-hmm. To you know to really be on your game when you're in a meeting and when you're doing things. Now, Don actually, we had a really interesting. You should definitely listen to that episode uh, that he and I recorded recently. Actually, rec- we recorded it at pause. I I gotta wonder now. Even though I don't think he would think that any of the stuff he does is gold plating, but he takes a really formal approach to uh, every time a customer asks him to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll write down some information and walk through their steps, go to their office, see exactly what they're trying to do. So he understands what they're actually trying to do, not what they're telling him that, that they're right. trying to do. Which I think yeah. is great, but that's a craft. I mean, that's like you know. Taking it as a profession and not doing it casually. Mm-hmm. I participated in the first session of uh, the Craft of FileMaker that um, that he and Ernest held in New York, and it's interesting you bring that up because I we discussed this afterwards. Is when mm-hmm. I was I walked away with a tremendous amount of information. I mean, a, a real there was a lot to digest and a lot to think through, and a lot actually that left me questioning some of our existing practices. And some things that were very much almost dogmatic, dare I say, for myself um, over the past few years. But I did come back with countering kind of what you were mentioning there was I said, boy, the overhead, you know, I mean, the results are, I understand the the end result, but is, you know, is there really, is the overhead that's employed there, how does that fit into the equation, right? Or, you know, how do you justify taking people through some of the level of detail that they were describing? and he and I actually have an outstanding appointment to revisit that question. <laughs> well, you know, from from his perspective, because that that came up a little bit in the podcast, and uh-huh. it's basically you can't not do it once you actually have that ex that tool in your belt. 
mm-hmm. um, that if you don't do that, and the overhead is can be really small for something, you know, if it's it doesn't have to be a gigantic process. Mm-hmm. It just has to be formal. It ha- mm. You have to actually have a piece of paper that takes you through these steps to make sure that you've actually done it, which mm-hmm. might take, you know, 10 minutes or 20 minutes or something to go through it. Um, but th- to ensure the accuracy of the result, to ensure that you're actually doing the right thing is kind of what he says really pays the huge dividends, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get the, the, the whole goal-based, um, you know, user-centric design. And like I said, it did mm-hmm. leave me questioning a lot of how we were doing things. I think we're, we're arriving at a similar result. Not to say that, you know, not to compare, you know, how, how often are we hitting the mark as compared to how often Don's hitting the mark. But the, um, the, the process was very different, which, yeah. is, which is really what left me questioning what we're doing is, wow, how do, how do you arrive at a result using such a different technique? And, and uh, well, you know, not drastically different, uh, but definitely a different approach, different steps of, of getting there. Yeah, I tell you what makes me th- the 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 best evidence that makes me think he's right is when I think back on the number of times that I've done a solution for a client and I think that they've been telling me everything that they're trying to do and then late in the game <laughs> I see them open up three or four other applications and say, "What are those?" Right. <laughs> and they go, "Oh yeah, those are these other databases that we're using that we do these other things, but we didn't think that you could do that." Or I'm like, "What?" <laughs> right. And yeah, no they're, doubt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um I guess it's, you know, uh, he's he's definitely hit on I mean, this whole persona-based approach is different in a lot of ways than than most of of us have been using. But I have very much been in that very, you know, I, I can remember um, early on developing a big solution when I was still solo and being on site the first day it was deployed and running around and like pulling my hair out as people were using it going, wait, you that's not how you're supposed to use this. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, the fact that I'm saying that is, there's something wrong there. I missed something. And I think what Don is doing is a great job of of illustrating how we could take an approach to fill in those gaps so that that does not happen. And yield greater success and we're we're eager to to talk to him and earnest about adopting that some of that here it's good stuff cool well what else do you have for me today um uh oh you're leaving me having to give you an answer of uh not a whole lot off the top of my head (laughs) (laughs) you know this is all good stuff um i i you know, I've been running around a lot lately, um, pause, and at the, some of the user groups, I've been doing the estimating conversation, yeah. which has been a, which has been a lot of fun and is right now a very hot topic for me. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll be doing that again in New Jersey next Wednesday night. Um, anybody else out there interested in having me talk about that? It's it's a great conversation. We did it for this uh, in Albany yesterday. Great, you know, just great participation. A lot of the people in the audience who are, so, you know, and our, user, our user groups are pretty. They're they're. Um, you know, the, the level of talent goes from beginner um, to, you know, experienced, very qualified and expert mm-hmm. developers and some real great names in the industry. And um, it's interesting to hear across the board people saying, you know, hey, uh, here's something I have to offer to that conversation. And likewise, people are saying, hey, here's something I took away from that conversation. So I'm uh, kind of happy to be shepherding that at the moment and going around and talking about that with people. Hmm. So what are, the, what are the high points of that conversation? I call it the alchemy uh, alchemy of estimating, and that's because you know that my main thrust of the conversation is it's not about you know it, I I tell people from the get go if you're here to, to for the silver wand that's going to tell you oh this is how you estimate a filemaker solution effectively I don't have that you know I think that's something that is open that's an open part of the conversation we talk about different techniques for correlating and whatnot but it's more about how important an estimate is 
especially in a time materials based business, mm-hmm. how important that is to the whole customer relationship, to your relationship with your customer, your ability to hit targets, um, your ability to set expectations. Period. I mean, it's the it's the very granular, very kind of atomized vehicle for managing your customers' expectations. So we just I just talk about everything that comes along with the estimate, where it appears at different stages in the in the engagement. Um, you know how to manage them internally. What how, what do they mean internally to a company that does time and materials, and even to a company that doesn't. You're still time is still something you're working with, and you you know you're using time as a metric somewhere. Mm-hmm. I imagine. Uh, it'd be interesting to hear what Kirk says about that. Um, but you know, just how does that all play together? So that it's been an interesting conversation. It's every I've had it now two or three times, and each time it's been just taken on a different air. So it's been good. Hmm. Cool. Yep. What about else you got, Matt? I got nothing. <laughs> Great. <laughs> this has been good. I really look forward to this. Actually, I could. Uh, I think it'd be fun to maybe have you and Kirk on sometime in the future and uh, have a shouting match. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not like your typical New Yorker. I don't argue. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Well, it's been delightful. Thanks for your time. Well, thank you very much again for the invite. It's, it's been great. 